are listening to Heart of the Ark podcast from the Office for Evangelization in the Archdiocese of Newark. We're coming to you to bring knowledge and some courage as we voyage through this life as missionary disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. My name is Jennifer Benke, and I'm co-hosting this podcast with my friend and colleague, Father John Gordon. Welcome back to Heart of the Ark, to our listeners, the podcast from the Office for Evangelization here at the Archdiocese of Newark. I'm one of the hosts, Jennifer Benke. I'm the Associate Director of Evangelization. And today I am glad, super glad to be joined by Sister Donna Sianju, the Chancellor of the Archdiocese, as well as the head of the Synod team. Sister Donna, I know you have a lot more experience, so please tell us a little bit about yourself before we begin. Thanks, Jennifer. First of all, I'm a Dominican sister from Caldwell, New Jersey, and I've really been very fortunate in my life as a Dominican to experience many things. So some of the things that I've done is I've worked for Renew International, was the coordinator for all the training and pastoral services there. I then went to the National Pastoral Life Center in New York, which was basically functioning as the the bishop's office on parish for the United States. And from there, we worked with dioceses all over the country and even international nationally, trying to help diocesan staffs, parish staffs, etc., do some practical planning for where they think they're going with their ministries. From then, I worked in a couple of parishes as well, part-time, and that was really a great experience because through the parishes, we did a lot of work with small Christian communities, adult faith formation, parish pastoral councils, and I worked with a lot of parish pastoral councils here in the archdiocese even before I came as chancellor. So now what we continue to do is the synod, obviously, but also parish pastoral council training. I work with the adult faith formation team and uh, archdiocesan pastoral council. I'm trying to think of all the hats that I have. (laughs) So there's a lot of of, uh, things to do. Well, thank you for that introduction. I knew if I tried to do it, I would forget about 95% of it. Just before we begin and go too far, I wish invite you to lead us in prayer today as we begin this discussion. Uh, we begin all things in prayer. So. so we pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. As we look ahead to Pentecost, we call upon you, Holy Spirit, to be with us in all the endeavors that we do. We ask you to liven and enliven our ministries for all the ways that we need to reach out to people. We ask you to help us be really great witnesses of, of Jesus Christ in our time. All of this we ask through Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you so much, sister. So one of the reasons I invited you to the podcast um, was that I really want to speak to you about evangelization and the synod and and going forward now that we have the uh, diocesan report we've got our, you know the regional we've got the national and now we've got the continental phase and all this is going back to Rome so you're in the process here in the archdiocese of really planning forward from what you've heard to help parishes go back and 
discern what the path is for them. So can you talk to us about that? Sure. First of all, let me say I'm really happy to be here to talk about it, and I can talk about it for hours. So one of the things that we found was in our synod report from just from our archdiocese, never mind the country or the world, um, you know, we came up with six areas of need or things that people said were, you know, most important for them. So the first area is welcome hospitality and outreach. The second area had to do with youth and young adults. The third area had to do with faith formation. And I have to say, youth and young adults and faith formation were basically tied in terms of what people were looking for. And then how laity can be involved in the church. Uh, participation of the laity was big, especially um, in areas of uh, women. Um, governance was another one. How do people actually help to make decisions at the parish level, at the diocesan level, and more? And the third one was communications uh, from the archdiocese to our parishes and from the parishes to our archdiocese. <clears throat> so those were the areas. Now. The strongest one, and it was really all over the world, was basically welcome hospitality and outreach, which is what we named it. So in our archdiocese, instead of trying to tackle each of those six areas, because if you've read the reports, uh, which are listed on our, our webpage, you will see that under each of those six titles that I mentioned, there are many bullet points. Right. <laughs> so with those bullet points, uh, we decided we, we can't ask everybody to just focus on all of these now. So the decision was made with the cardinal, um, with the auxiliary bishops and our team to really focus on one. So we chose welcome hospitality and outreach. So with that, I have to say that um, a couple of parishes already started on that. Okay. So we were working with a couple of parishes. So it was great because we had opportunity to discuss this, figure out what they're doing, see what some of the ideas were that they had. And uh, so now we've launched the series of workshops. Okay. So I, I attended one of the first workshops this past weekend, and I was uh, – I was, as, as you know, because I, I mentioned, because God help me if I ever keep my mouth shut, <laughs> um, I'm, um, I mentioned that the thing that struck me the most from the workshop is that you begin in prayer. You, yes. You begin with a, an experience of prayer for those who attend the workshop and in a way invite them into that process of discovery in themselves and re reinvite them to like, what is the Holy Spirit asking of me and how do I feel called to focus on this? And, and I thought that that's a real important part of this evangelization component, if you want, if you will, because we know that the Great Commission comes right at Ascension. We're, we're this weekend is Ascension, mm -hmm. next weekend is the Holy Spirit. We're, we're right here being asked to go make of all nations disciples baptizing. So that evangelization call is coming right from the Gospels this week. And, and, and so, like, how do we discern that in our parishes in prayer? That's right. Right. That's the key thing. So 
you know, we really thought when we started the synodal process here, uh, we were kind of in a hurry to get it done because it came quickly and uh, not exactly sure what how to go about getting this out to the parishes, the religious communities, the schools, etc. And I have to say our pastoral staff here at the Archdiocese was way more than helpful. They were just wonderful to work with their constituencies. So um, we decided to this time, you know, let's help people really explore how does the Lord call me? So a lot of times people who are working in ministry think about those things or they pray about that. But your average parish person may not be thinking that way. So we thought that's why we started in prayer that way. And the second part of it then moved into how does the Lord call us as a parish community? Mm -hmm. So that's where we started to think about how do we do in our parish, how do we welcome people, Right. right, which is evangelization. How do we show hospitality and welcome? So hospitality just doesn't mean donuts and coffee, right. which most people think of. But it really means, you know, how how are we really showing hospitality, welcoming, and so forth? And then finally, the outreach, of course, is how do we outreach? How do we reach out to people? So when we think about it, sometimes it's great to think of all nations. But the reality in our parishes and in our archdiocese and actually all over the world, because this was very similar to what was expressed in the other documents, um, that is to look at who's missing, who maybe left during COVID, who left for other reasons, parents of our kids in religious education. These are all people who need to be reached out to, the elderly and so forth. So parishes have identified marginal, if you will, people right in their own area. All right. So, and I don't like to say we'll start first there because I think you need to do a lot of different things because we have migrants coming in. I just heard that uh, for Mercy House that uh, uh, Cheryl said that a whole bunch of people came in who are migrants. They have nothing. Mm-hmm. So they, she gave out every single thing they had at Mercy House. Right there is an evangelization piece. Right. You know, right. so that's our some of our people on the periphery. So trying to help the parishes actually think through that is really the critical, the critical thing, I think. Absolutely. I mean, I know that... Um from my my own perspective that the parish is like a little a tiny little glimpse of the cosmos and so something that works in one community is not going to work in another community because they're all have their individual culture as well as their individual needs and um ways in which they need to do this outreach. So I just want to kind of break down that word outreach, though, just because it it can be used in in ways of like social justice acts of outreach, because that's a, a, a part of who we are as our Catholic identity. But it's also the understanding that we are enriched by those who uh, everyone as a Catholic, you are enriched by the entire community. And when people are missing, then the community is missing that ministry of the person that they're not is not present. Correct. And I, I think that's that's the key thing to help people get to that deeper level right. about thinking about it, because we might say parish community. Um, but sometimes when you go to different parishes, they think they're a welcoming community. But 
I've been to many parishes, not just here, but all over the world, where they kind of like see that you're different, but no one, you know, even says hello. Right. So if, if we can start getting our people to think community-wise and how do we express who we are in Jesus Christ through our parish community, that's really critical. So I think that's kind of a basic step to evangelization. But the the awareness is the key piece for people. Yeah. I I I love all of this in terms of its practicality. My German brain says looks at this and says, "Okay, there's there's a road map here." And then there's the other part of I guess it's my my the other side of my family, the French brain is like, "But where is the je ne sais quoi?" Right? So <laughs> I I guess um, in terms of how we present um, ourselves to the people who are missing. Like, how do we speak to the what they're missing? Um, and I guess that comes from the prayer of the community to be, you know, engaged in that dialogue of, of well, what is it that spoke to you? You know, um, one of the things you had us do in the small groups was to speak about the times when the Holy Spirit has been really present in your own life. And I have to admit, I sat down at a table and other members of the archdiocesan staff sat around me, and it was just a comfort level thing. And one of the religious sisters who sat down at our table shared her moment of recognition of the Holy Spirit, which was so profoundly powerful. And it's been percolating in my subconscious, like how could that be articulated in a way that would reach more people who come from a background similar to hers, whether it be her vocation before she was a nun, she was a pediatrician, or whether it was a person from the culture that she comes from, which was a, a, a culture that was is living under a communist rule. So those two types of Tensions. I'm trying to figure out, like, how do we how do we get people to un- recognize that story? I'm I'm into stories. That's the je ne sais quoi well, for me. Their story too. <laughs> I mean, I think you know. I I don't know. Um, each, each as you said, each parish is different. Each culture is different. So what works in one culture might not work in another culture. One of the things that I've had a lot of success with over the years is inviting people into a small group. Mm -hmm. So, for example, I'm going out with my small group ladies tonight. Okay. And it's it was a group that started by, hey, do you want to come on? We're doing this scripture thing. You want to come? Oh, yeah. Okay. And it, from there, it grew into my adult faith formation team, you know, and it grew into deep friendships. Mm -hmm. So... I think that's a. I think it's building up the relationships. That's part of what hospitality is to mm-hmm. an outreach. It's building up the relationships with people, so that you feel that people feel comfortable. You're not going to pounce on them with something, but hey, come and see. Right. You know that that kind of a thing. Um, in some of the other uh, cultural communities, I know that you know people can just walk up to somebody and say, "Hey, we haven't seen you at mass." I right. don't know if that's always the way to go in other communities. So you might say, hey, we're miss, uh, I've missed you, or you know, would you like to join this thing? And I think today it's, it's hard because people have a sense of, oh, I'm too busy. And I think that by putting 
time frames on things, you know, and inviting people in. Look, we're going to have small groups for four weeks or six weeks. Or can you manage that? Yes. Hey, we'll have them on Zoom too. It can be a combination of things because I know you got the kids at home. So trying to do something like that, I think, helps people in two ways. One, it helps them find maybe some of those things that you're talking about where they're missing or they don't you know they they uh, they're not sure that they're missing something in terms of a relationship with Christ second of all they get to tell their story right and i think that's critical for people you know i know you're into that so <laughs> well <laughs> but that's it's true i mean you know people get to talk about how they found or are missing their relationship with Christ right you know, and that's, I guess, you're right. That is that is important to me, but it's also part of how we structure this podcast is this it, in a dialogue because um, we recognize that conversion happens in a dialogue between you and me just conversing last week in preparation for here. I, I found out uh, information that you shared with me helps me appreciate your perspective more. And in that way, it enriches my perspective of Catholicism because it's it's different. Mm-hmm. And, and again, we're enriched by others. And that's part of the mystical body of Christ, the communion of all the people around the table of the Lord. Right. Exactly. And I think what we found through... Um, we'll call them small Christian communities because that's one of the things I've been doing for years and I just find it as a powerful way of involving people and reaching out to people. They get to tell their story. They usually stay, mm-hmm. okay, or they become a part of it. There were surveys done on who joins ministries in a parish and it's people who come out of small Christian communities because they have this chance. But the other thing we say about that too is that you're really listening to God speaking through the other person. So it's not just like a fun group, isn't this great? Like tonight it'll be fun. My my friends and I are going out for dinner. Okay. But in a as you said, you're listening to a sister last week. Mm-hmm. You heard God speaking to her. It touched your heart. Right. And I think that's the critical thing with which I would love to see more of as we talk with our parishes or help our parishes to figure out how they're going to really look seriously at how they do welcome, hospitality, and outreach in their parishes. And in order to do that, um, if everybody could see it, which they can't, because <laughs> I have a beautiful book here in English and Spanish. We'll put the link in the in the You'll show. Put the link in. Put the link uh, well, in the show. The li- it's see. not up yet. But oh, okay. It will be. Okay. It will be as soon as it's up. <laughs> and and uh, we have a letter from Cardinal Tobin in here. We have a um, a sample prayer service. We have our themes. But then we're asking people to think more deeply about welcome hospitality and outreach. So one of the first things that people said in the archdiocese was we need to find ways to invite people back to the parish and build a strong community. I mean, who doesn't want that? Everybody. Everybody wants that. (laughs) So then we said, well, how are we going to get them to really think deeper about this? Because it's not about just coffee and donuts. So we, we took number one, and we call it welcome and invitation. And we're asking people to think on their own, pray about this, and meet in their small group. By small group, I mean parish staff, 
parish pastoral council, finance council, heads of ministries, however it's going to happen. Because then we're asking them to think about this. What does it mean to be welcomed? And remember a time when you felt welcomed. You can, I'm sure, remember times when you're not, when you haven't felt welcomed. Yeah. And then how do you currently welcome people into your community? So you have to do um, a kind of uh, a, a long, loving look, right? As mm-hmm. Father Walter Burkhardt says, take a long, loving look about your actual reality. Do you really do it? Right. I worked with a parish once, and I so I asked them. This is years before the synod, and I said, "Well, are are you a welcoming community?" Oh yes, we welcome everybody. Well, I went to mass there, and they welcomed all their friends, but they didn't reach out to anybody who was new. Right. So it's it's not that they're not wanting to do. They're not thinking. Right. So we want people to be intentional. So that's the kind of way that we've put this uh, workbook, if you will, or resource together. And then as a result of just that discussion on the first part of welcome, what do you need to do and why? What will you do? What are your action steps? Who is the point person who's going to lead it? And, you know, we suggest parish council along with parish staff. Time frame, when are you going to start? When are you going to finish? Well, you don't want to ever finish, actually, with that. But <laughs> And then evaluation. So it, we take all of those eight... I guess results, Mm -hmm. I could say, from the first one on welcome hospitality and outreach and go through that so that people will then come up with um, hopefully a pastoral plan on how they're going to welcome people. Okay. Does that make sense to you? Yeah, that absolutely makes sense to me. I guess, yes, like you, I'm I'm all in on the Synod. I'm 100% all in on the Synod because I really think that the Holy Spirit is calling all of us to recognize um, the need for holiness and the need to work together to bring about a holier world. That's like, if I had to put it in a nutshell, that's it. I think that I'm hopeful that when the bishops from all around the world gather and write the final document on the Synod of Synodality, that in some way it's a little bit more like Lumen Gentium or something Mm -hmm. that has this, you know, has that... uh, universal call to holiness or that it captures the imagination through the word of God and and inspires the way Lumen Gentium and the Vatican II documents did because it exp- inspired a real fundamental shift in the way that our church functions and I'm hopeful that 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 is part of it I you know this is really great for our purposes right here because people think practically. But I also, as an artist, want to be inspired because I want to see, I want to see like the opening of God in the documents as well. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. And I'm going to take it a step. First of all, I'm so happy that you know the documents of Vatican II because <laughs> so many people don't. The other document I think that's really critical and it's been a, an influence on my life is um, Pope Francis's Joy of the Gospel yeah. because he really captures, I think, what maybe Lumen Gentium would take to the next step. So it's a universal call to holiness, but it's like some of the other uh, documents from Vatican II that really say – 
we need to be disciples of Christ and not followers of Christ. Mm-hmm. Okay, disciples mean you get in there, you roll up your sleeves, and you're carrying on the mission of Christ. I feel very strongly about that. And I always kind of worry, are we really helping people, number one, encounter Christ as a person with a deep relationship? And then, is that helping them to do outreach? And outreach has many different facets, as you pointed out. So I think that's critical. How do we help the everyday Catholic who sometimes comes to Mass or sometimes participates or who says they're Catholic really understand that call to discipleship, which is why we started with our our synod, you know, our synod um, session with that little retreat mode. Yeah. That's the critical thing to me because otherwise we sit back and, you know, we say, well, the parish staff can take care of it right. or the parish pastor. Can, but it's got to be me. What, what do I hear as the call from the Lord to do something? Right. And I don't even like the word responsibility. It is our responsibility, but that... That sounds like you're supposed to, you know, do some chores. Right. I don't want it to be a chore. It's a lifestyle. Yes. And I remember um, very clearly uh, when I I was already a professed sister, but I went on a curcio, Mm -hmm. right? So that was was quite a while ago. And I not always very um, outgoing, okay? Really? No, I I tend to be... Kind of shy. Like, I hate to walk into a room full of people. I'd rather be in the kitchen serving the coffee. But when I went on the Curcio, all of a sudden, it hit me of what it meant to really be a disciple and what I was taking on as a religious, Mm -hmm. right? Like, I thought, oh, my God, this is really great stuff. It's really serious stuff. And, but it, that's the creative imagination. Yes. So... You know, uh, Americans are very practical. That's why we know, as you can see in this book, it's a practical thing. You have to help people go step by step to be intentional about it. Is this going to inspire creative imagination? I hope so. Okay. Okay? Good. I hope so. I mean, I don't know that they're going to write poetry about welcome hospitality and outreach. (laughs) Or a song. But... You know, well, we use that song from the Philippines. I actually worked in the Diocese of Malolos in the Philippines that we used the song together. Yes. uh, That we used for the October 16th uh, Synod Continuation Mass. And that, to me, expresses what we're really trying to talk about. Right. You know, so it's around. We have it all around us, but it's making the connections for people. Absolutely. You know, another document uh, that's more recent, I'm a big fan of... Evangelii Gaudium um, of Pope Francis. I just used it in my paper. But um, another one that I used was his uh, Desiderio Desideravi, which just came out, and it's kind of, it's about the liturgy, but it talks about inspiring that creative imagination um, through the Ars Celebrandi and all, you know, the way we do liturgy. But he also talks, he uses this phrase that the modern man has become symbolically illiterate. And, And that... I think that captures what I'm looking for mm-hmm. is the how do we remind people that symbols are important and the the bread is not just a bread it's there's a reason we don't use wonder bread for the host that the set apart port is because it's a sacrament and so we are set we are people set apart for a purpose of following Christ and how do we reconnect with that symbolism at, 
and that, that inspires awe, that inspires a deeper faith understanding, that inspires these moments of really, un, you know, that, that we can share as like the touchstone moments of our individual faith journeys. Yeah, I think that's critical. Um, in the parish that I go to um, most times, which um, I'm a member there, been I've actually been going there since high school. So Father Tom Denty has really taken the artistic sensibility seriously. So okay. he has an artist friend that he went to school with who's doing some banners in the church that are absolutely beautiful. I mean, they're mystical, they're beautiful. And during the Easter season, he also had her do um, like small pieces that are around the church expressing the resurrection and so forth. And then I think how you make the church look, you know, how you how you focus on the altar as the center. You know, I mean, we, we Catholics have statues and so right. forth. But if that's all around and distracting from the altar, the, the way we do the music or the way the presider uh, you know, leads um, the fraction right. You know, seeing Christ, breaking the bread yeah. is very key, and some parishes do that well, and some don't do it well. Right. But the focus on that, the focus on what's happening there, you know, is is critical. So it's always like they recognized him in the breaking of the bread. My yes. friend, Sister Sandy, always says it's the recognitio. It's the recognition of that action of Christ at Emmaus that's happening every Sunday, every day, if you're going to Mass every day. It's it's how do we see that? So it's not just the practicality, but so that's really important. I mean, what you're talking about is really important. And it doesn't have to be just Latin. It doesn't have to be Gregorian chant. It doesn't have, it can be done well with all the types of traditions that we have. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I think that's important as well as when we think about our Newark church is that I mean, we have several intercultural communities where different language groups, different cultures worship at the same table. And really, I, what I loved about that October 16th Mass is exactly what you said, is that you took a a song from a specific place and presented it beautifully in the um, manner in which it was meant to be represented. So it's not a, um, it's not choosing the lowest you know, you know, the easiest for the parish to chew, to to cling on to. It's it's bringing this beautiful piece of work, poetry and meaning and musical style, to a place of uh, honor that tells this like specific story of the people of the Philippines and their insight into what being synodal means. Mm. And I think that's really important when we. I, I'm always coming from a music a music ministry background, right? Like when we teach each other, I always see that like when we sing each other songs, that's the ultimate act of love in a way that, you know, worship is love. It's an offering. It's a sacrifice of praise. But when we learn each other's songs and we learn each other's stories, that's that sharing of that love. And it's not like, oh, we'll pick this hymn because it has easy words, whether it's in Spanish or English. It's because it it tells a specific story of our culture and it, it presents it in a way that is beautiful and reverent and brings people up instead of kind of, instead of uh, 
you know, smoothing out every all the bumps, it really puts a little bit of a of a of a pride of place in a important way. Yeah. I don't know. I like the way you said that. And also at that particular mass, um, we were able to have people do greetings in about eight different languages, yeah. including a language that I didn't know anything about, which was called Twi. Okay, so from Ghana. And it was it was just great. And people dressed in their native costume as well. But I mean, I think we have such a rich archdiocese here. You know, we have so many cultures, so many languages. And I, I think that's right. And to celebrate them in big ways and in little ways. I, th- I think that's really important to do. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's part of the artistic nature of things, as you're describing. But it's also singing each other's songs is a community effort, right? Yes. So it's a, it's a way of expressing that we are all one. Yes. And everybody's invited. Everybody's we're, invited. We're, it doesn't matter the gift that you feel as I'm not a good singer. Well, that's not, that's not the point. That's the, not the point. The point is God makes you part of the whole right right and and so i'm not i'm not a good pastoral planner i I can barely uh, balance my budget at home let alone (laughs) but um but i can see that this i'm 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 on board with this plan for how to present a synod back to a pastoral because i can see the value of it and so i'll be do my best part of it even though i don't feel like it's the gift i'm called to give right but it will at least help you think intentionally that's the, that's the goal of that absolutely what's your intention how are you going to put something together that's significant and it's going to touch every ministry is going to be involved in this it's going to you know touch people who come to mass on a regular basis how can you get everybody to do to do a part of reaching out to other people so that's what it's basically the word that I always use is intentional. Right. You know, I think I'm a pastoral planner. I don't know that I am. I can't plan myself from now till Saturday. <laughs> so <laughs> so I understand that. But I think going through the questions and just saying, yeah, you know, maybe we're not doing that that well. We think we are. Right. But maybe we could step it up a little bit here and there. Yes. So if, if we get that out of this synodal process that we've had in our archdiocese, And we were really, it was great. We had so many people participating and so many people, there's a longing in people because we train the pastoral councils. I'm out at parishes all the time. There's a longing in people to try to figure out what we can do. Right. Right. They want it. So if you don't take a step back and do the prayerful part first, you know, and, you know, we're hoping that that spurs people to do it. So we're saying... What we do um, at this uh, synod sessions right now, the second synod sessions, you can replicate in your parish. It's not hard to do. Right. Here's the questions. Here's the little book. Um, here's the planning book. Go for it. Right. Right. And I think um, I, w- I was just listening to another uh another podcast, but um, it was about marketing and it was about corporations and this whole thing. And one of the things that they talked about was that um, organizations do better when they, you know, instead of focusing on the one big fix of like, okay, we're going to build a rocket with a bigger engine, they're um, focusing on, um, because you can do that, but it adds more load and friction. And then it's still not getting you the the thing you desire. So 
a, a big rocket with a, with a bigger engine sounds big and fun and sexy to use the word, mm-hmm. but it's actually all of the little things you do. How about you make things in you know make things weigh less so you can do more with the engine you have. You know what I mean? Right. So so all those little fixes, like you're saying, is only the way that a particular community can do the work on their own. Like maybe you can't fix the big welcome in the community, but maybe. Um, like some parishes have done, maybe you have a, a way in which you can provide um, welcome in your community that no one else has and no one else has thought about, but it's the one thing you can do. So if it's music from my point of view or if it's um, turning, you know, offering a, a, a community lunch program once a week or or doing or having English classes while kids are in religious ed so that the parents might actually, you know, be able to better converse as part of the community and take part in community functions. Like the ways in which that your community can specifically um, address the welcome and the outreach to the people in the pews, but not just the people in the pews, the people outside. And, you know, I like to even think of it as what can we do as parishes together? Mm-hmm. I think that's critical. You know, we have a deanery structure in the archdiocese. We have deans. Uh, and I think that uh, a lot of the parish staffs, like, for example, the catechetical ministers, they meet together. Uh, they come. I was at a meeting with them last week um, where they'll meet on Zoom. They've met all through the whole COVID crisis. But what can we do together to mm-hmm. do something like that, like what are the plans? What what are um, what can parishes do to have like, and some deaneries have done this in the past. Like Bayonne used to have, um, I think it was Bayonne in Jersey City. They used to have like um, prayer services together mm-hmm. and bring people together, and then have different types of. Uh, things for people to come and meet each other. I, I think we have to start thinking larger than just my parish. I mean, yes. my parish has to think about it, but all of our parishes in an area, even if it's just two parishes, you know, yes. some towns we have two and three parishes and what can they do as a community thing instead of having, you know, all separate silos yes. for parishes. So I think there's ways we can look at that. You know, Absolutely. it's kind of like having a mixer, you know, between <laughs> between the boys' school and the and the girls' school. Right. But it, but it is something like that where you can bring people together to really kind of look at the area and the needs of the area. Right, and it's a it's not just a uh, a like one plus one equals two. It's a you know this parish perspective and this parish perspective added plus Christ is a three. It's a, in the same mm-hmm. way it's a marriage because we're inviting Christ and the Holy Spirit to be a part of that relationship because we're starting everything in prayer as we as we do just like we did today. Just like we did today. And Cardinal Tobin talks a lot about this whole idea of pastoral conversion which also came from Pope Francis and you know that's really critical like that pastoral conversion, you know, would be, you know, kind of a a Catholic thing to say. But we're really talking a little bit about changing culture, right? So we have multiple cultures, multicultural, but we also have an overriding culture. And so it's the culture of the separateness, you know, this parish, that parish. But really what 
is really critical is if we see ourselves as one church, you know, the whole big church, but also the church of the Archdiocese of Newark, right. the church of this particular county or this particular area. So we've got to start, you know, hopefully helping people to think that way. Right. And that's not just a that's not just a spiritual matter in in a lot of ways. And I'm not I'm don't think I'm breaking any news here. It's it's a pastoral reality that we have, you know, we have a, a lot of priests that are, are approaching the age of retirement and not a very deep bench to use a sports analogy. There's not a, a lot of guys to fill the. So every parish or community of parishes is going to have to find a way to inspire the young adults and youth to consider their vocation more uh, actively because I've been here 18 months and I've yet to find the priest making machine in the basement. <laughs> right? So I, I think that came up a few times in the Synod in different ways. Mm-hmm. Okay. The, but the role of the laity, I think, is really key in this whole thing because it's about, it's about priestly vocation, it's about religious vocation, but it's about vocations of the laity too, but also helping them understand that it, it is a vocation, it is a call to do the work of Christ. Right. You know, it was interesting how many people in the Synod reports mentioned that we'd like our priests to be able to concentrate on the spirituality of things, you know, pastoral care, but we would like to see other people um, helping out by staff positions. Right, right. And, you know, coming from a, pa- a pastoral reality as a lay woman um, prior to working here at the office, Office for Evangelization, I recognize that, you know, like, that's difficult for a parish to afford. But at the same time, you know, there are there are, there are three sins that cry to heaven for justice, and one of which is providing the right uh, compensation for a day's labor, right? So, like, those are realities that we have to be intention, right. that are intention. And so maybe this um, intentional discernment of whether one minister can help out several parishes, like as a group, you can't afford one person in one place, but you can afford them right. in in a community of like three parishes within one town has one such and such. Right. You know. So that would be good for certain types of ministries, but also I think um, at the parish level, having been um, uh, parish staffs before, you know, it's really critical to be able to share, to have that collaboration. Mm-hmm. Um, to make things happen that one person can't do all the time. Right. And so as we're facing one priest parishes, if you want to say that, um, you know, we really need to look at that. And yep. I think that's something that um, we worked something like that out in a diocese in New Mexico, you know, st- some staffing and so forth. But to really, I think we have to look at the whole picture and figure out, you know, where are we going and how can we help that happen? Right. Because a good staff person is invaluable right. in a parish. Yeah. And a staff person can take, can handle the baptism prep, the uh, marriage prep, as I said, bereavement, some all the other stuff that can happen. So... Um, and business administration, which is which right. is critical. Yeah, I mean, most priests don't have the might not have the skills, I should say, because you know they're not necessarily learning that. 
uh, I know I wouldn't have the skills to be a business manager right. in a parish, but I would have other skills. Right. So, you know, it's all that kind of stuff, looking at those kinds of gifts and, and call. I mean, yeah. there are people who have a call to that kind of ministry, parish right. ministry. Well, I really want to thank you. I know uh, your time is, is is more valuable than mine, but I just really want to thank you for taking the time to speak to us and explain this, um, the synod and what you're, what you're doing out in the parishes so that we can understand it better. And then when, when we go to these sessions, they can be more fruitful for the parishes and for the people who are attending. Great. So. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed this. I didn't think I was going to, oh, yeah. but I... <laughs> I did. I, I enjoy it, and um, you know that. Like I said, I'll come back anytime. There's more things to talk about, and um, I'm very excited. I'm very proud of our diocese. Um, I worked with Renew, which is part of the diocese, but I had the opportunity, as I said, to travel all over the world. I've been in Cameroon. I've lived in the Philippines. I've lived in South Africa, uh, Europe, South America, and. I still come home to Newark, and I say, this is the heart. There's so much good that's been going on in our archdiocese, and I really um, just want to be a little part of helping it happen. Amen. Amen. So with that, if we can, I'd like to close with the Synod Prayer for the Archdiocese of Newark. Did you write this? Uh, No, this is actually from St. Isidore from the year something like 300, I forget. Okay. Okay. That, awesome. Somebody, somebody wrote it for like one of the early synods. So okay. it's a traditional prayer that's used at every synod. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. And we stand before you, Holy Spirit, as we gather together in your name. With you alone to guide us, make yourself at home in our hearts. Teach us the way we must go and how we are to pursue it. We are weak and sinful. Do not let us promote disorder. Do not let ignorance lead us down the wrong path, nor partiality influence our actions. Let us find in you our unity so that we may journey together to eternal life and not stray from the way of truth and what is right. All this we ask of you who are at work in every place and time in the communion of the Father and the Son forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much, Sister Nana, and I look forward to speaking with you soon. Excellent. Bye-bye. Thank you. Heart of the Ark podcast is an initiative by the Office for Evangelization at the Archdiocese of Newark. If you want to find us online, you can find us at rcan.org slash evangelization. We're on Facebook. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. Very soon we'll be updating our social media for the Heart of the Ark, but you can find us on Fireside Podcasts at heartofthearc.fireside.fm. Our theme song is composed by and orchestrated by Eric Hunter, a dear friend of mine. You can find out more about Eric and his performances and compositions at Eric, E-R-I-C, Hunter, H-U-N-T-E-R, music.com. This has been a pleasure, and I look forward to hearing from you and speaking with you in the future.